Relationships with the right people are often the key to great opportunities in life. Today, we'll be learning about knowing the source that gives us access to real life. This message is the fifth in the series, Turning Point. The message is entitled, Know the Source. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Amen. Well, grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets, and your teaching sheets are actually inside your bulletins there. And you can also go online and follow along with our teaching as well. As we continue our series of messages called Turning Points, I want to talk today about this very important topic, knowing the source. By the way, before I get started, how many of you men were at the men's conference yesterday? Raise your hand. Come on. Wasn't it great? We had an amazing time here, and so uh, uh, what a great day we had. And so just mark your calendar. That's right. Make sure that you watch for our next one coming up. We haven't scheduled it yet, but it's going to be some good stuff ahead for us in our men's and women's ministries here at Church of the Redeemer. I'm going to talk about, again, turning points. We're looking at the idea of knowing the source. You know, on a few rare occasions over my life, I've been invited to a special event and been a special guest somewhere. And so normally when you go somewhere as a special guest, you have special privileges. You have access where other people perhaps may not have access. You have special seats or maybe a special parking place that's given to you. And it's been a few rare occasions, but I've had those experiences in my life. And I've also had the experiences when I've traveled with someone who had that special privilege and I was just sort of tagging along with them. And if they looked at me and sort of like, what are you doing here? I say, I'm with him. You had that before? I'm with him. I'm I'm here because of that person. I'm here because they invited me. And so many times in life to get access to certain points, it's not so much what you know, it is who you know. Do you know the right person? Are you connected with the right person in the right set of circumstances that will get you privilege, that will get you access? And part of what is important for us in our spiritual journey is to understand that if we're going to have access to God and know him in a personal way, there's someone that we need to know. That you cannot know God apart from the someone that lets you know Him or gives you access to Him because we in and of ourselves don't have access to God as we'll see in a few moments because of our sinful nature. God is a holy God and we're sinful creations or sinful creatures and because of that there's a distance between us and God. The Bible says that there's an enmity that exists. We're enemies of God by our own nature, by who we are and so if we're going to get into the presence of God we need someone that will allow us to experience access. And I want to take you to the Apostle Paul's words as he described this whole experience of trying to understand some. Actually, first of all, we'll look at Jesus' words, then we'll look at the Apostle Paul's words in a moment. But let me first of all take you to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7 of what he said about this access, about knowing the right person if you're going to have access to God. I'm reading here from Matthew 7, beginning in verse number 18. I'll read down through verse number 23. He's talking to both his disciples as well as the religious leaders of his day. Notice what Jesus said. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Makes sense, right? So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. If you've got a a tree that's supposed to be bearing apples and it never bears apples, and you need apples, and you're going to cut the the tree down that's not bearing the fruit and plant one that will bear fruit. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say, let me stop there for a moment. Jesus makes it clear that there will be a judgment day, a day that we all stand before God. On judgment day, many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we we cast out demons in your name and we, we perform many miracles in your names. But I will reply, Jesus said, I never, what's the word there? Never knew you. 
I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Interesting enough that Jesus says here, there'll be people that will stand before God on the judgment day and said, God, we did some incredible good works for you. We prophesied in your name and we even cast out some demons in your name and we did a lot of great things. We healed the sick and did miracles in your name and and there in that moment, Jesus' words will be, depart from me, get away from me. I never... I never knew you. Now think about that for a moment, how, how sobering that is to realize that what's going on here is here are some folks who are talking about doing some really good things. Would you agree with me that prophesying in God's name is a good thing and casting out demons in God's name is a good thing and, and healing the sick and doing miracles in God's name? Would you all agree with me? That's, those are some good stuff, right? Good things, right? And Jesus said, it's not the good things that will get you into heaven. It's not the good things that you do that will gain you access It's who you know, and I'm going to have to tell a lot of folks, depart from me, get away, because not only did you not know me, but I didn't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. We don't have a personal relationship. Now, it's extremely important that we understand that Jesus here in this passage, as well as many other passages, describes himself as the only way to get to God. He says, if you want to get to God, you have to know me, and I have to know you. There's no other way to know God. There's no other way to have eternally, eternal secured for your life except knowing me. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I think that's fairly clear, don't you? Jesus didn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. He said, I am the way. It's a definitive article. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me, except through a personal relationship with me. You can't just go to heaven on your own. You have to know the right source. You have to know somebody. You have to know the right somebody. You can't crash the party of heaven. There's only one way to get in. You've got to know the host. If you don't know the host, you're never going to make it in. Jesus makes that very, very, very clear. No matter how much good works, We might do in our lives our good works, no matter what they are, never earn us favor or acceptance with God. It's only what Jesus did. In a few moments, I'm going to help you to understand why this is so significant. So how do we get to know him? If the criteria for going to heaven is knowing Jesus, I want to know how to know him. How about you? I want to make sure that I have a relationship with the one that will get me through the door. I want to make sure that I have a relationship with the host of the party. I want to make sure that I will have, a, I have a relationship, not only that I know him, but that he actually knows me and I have this interaction, this relationship with him. And so how do we get to know Jesus who is our source? This morning I want to share with you three very simple statements that will help you understand how you get to know Jesus Christ as the source of your life. And if you already know him, I would encourage you to listen closely because at some point in time, God wants to use you to explain this this to somebody else and if you don't know him today let me encourage you listen very closely because this can be your day to have a transformed life you can leave here truly a different person coming into personal relationship with Jesus if you'll follow these three things that I'm describing today first of all you have to admit your inability you have to admit your inability to save yourself 
When I was a, a young, young lad, a young boy, I was enrolled in Boy Scouts and uh, I had the desire to become an Eagle Scout. And so I was working very hard to try to become the Eagle Scout. And of course, to do so, there's so many merit badges that you have to earn along the way. And one of the merit badges that I, I knew that I had to earn if I was going to finally make it to the rank of Eagle is I had to finally learn the life-saving uh, merit badge. Of course, that's learning how to save people that are drowning and so forth. And I really dreaded that because I'm not the greatest swimmer in the world and you know, I, I kind of learned how to swim late and so it was always that it was one of those merit badges that I put off last I don't don't want to do that one don't want to do that one but finally I realized okay I want to make eagle I've got to do life-saving and so I took the Red Cross course on life-saving so I could pass my my, my life-saving course and, and they taught me something they taught me something in life-saving they taught that whenever you're trying to save someone that's drowning the first thing you do is reach and then you throw and then you go say it with me you reach you throw and you go you don't go after someone in the water if you can reach them from the shore, right? So the first thing is the safest way to save someone is to reach to them and then if you can't reach them, maybe you get something, you throw it to them. You throw them maybe a buoy or some kind of life-saving preserve, if you will, that you can draw them back in with, a rope that you'll throw them and so you reach and throw and the last result is that you, last resort is to go. And so there are times that people are far out and they need to be saved, so you have to learn how to go. And they also taught us this, that when you approach a drowning person, someone that's actively drowning, it's the most dangerous moment in the event because they're thrashing around in the water and they will see you in the moment because they're not thinking clearly, sort of as an enemy because they're trying to find their way to breath and make sure that they're staying alive. And so they're fighting the process and they will actually fight you. And in fact, there are lots of stories where people who've gone to try to save someone else have actually drowned themselves because the person was thrashing about and actually not only drowned, them, the, the drowning victim drowned, but the lifesaver drowned also. Why? Because what needs to occur is before that person can, can be saved, there needs to be that point when that person releases and says, okay, I'm not going to fight anymore. I don't have the ability to save myself. I'm going to now rest myself in your arms to save me. And that's really like it is when it comes to our relationship with God, that we must understand that we are in the waters of sin, the waters of a world that is contrary to God, or the waters of our own life where we're trying to learn how to live life the right way and we mess up a lot of times and we flat thrash about trying to find our way to God and God says, you know, if you want to find me, if you want me to save you, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to stop thrashing around. You've got to let me grab hold. You've got to put yourself in my arms and let me do for you what only I can do. You cannot save yourself, but I can save you. Paul talked about this in his own life. Let me tell you a little bit about the Apostle Paul before I read for you some of the passages related to his, his emphasis here. Paul was a very religious man. He was steeped in Judaism. He understood the law of God. He understood what was right and what was wrong. He was trained by one of the leading uh, Pharisees of his time. He was a very brilliant man. But of course, you might remember the story that's recorded in Acts chapter 9 where Saul of Tarsus, he's on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians and he has this encounter with Jesus and he comes to faith in Christ and he begins to reflect on his life and he writes the book of Romans and in the book of Romans, he is talking about this, 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 
this, this, this need that we all have for God, this, this fact that none of us can find God on our own, that we need, we need to let go and put our trust in God so that by faith we're saved and not by our works. See, he had tried about every good work you could imagine, and he's trying to help us to understand it doesn't happen that way. Salvation comes by faith, not by our works. And notice what he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He writes this statement. He says, you see, he's talking to the Jews and the Gentiles both alike. He says, you see, all have sin and all their futile attempts to reach God in his glory. What? What's the, what's, what's the scripture say? They fail. Paul said, let me tell you something. I've learned something that everybody is a sinner. Everybody's thrashing around in a world of sin and a world of trying to make their lives better by themselves. And even in their attempts to reach God, they always fall short of His glory. They never quite get there. And you can't get there on your own. And in chapter 7 of Romans, he reflects on this as well, a very powerful passage. And see if you can identify with Paul's words here. I'm reading from the message paraphrase. I know, Paul said, that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. Or if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps, me, keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. Anybody been there before? I can will doing right, but I just can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Anybody here with me this morning? Amen? It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. Now remember, Paul was a very religious man. He said, I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Let's stop there for a moment. Let's see what Paul's saying. Paul, before he met Christ, he's saying, my life was, I was thrashing around in religion. I was trying my best to do what was right. I knew God's commands. I knew what he said was right and what was wrong. And when I tried to do right... I ended up doing wrong, and when I tried not to do wrong, I ended up doing wrong anyway, and I came to the realization that religion was not going to save me. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't do all the law because there was a problem way down inside of me, and I'm thrashing around in religion, and I finally came to the place of saying, I, I can't help myself with this. I need somebody outside of myself to save me. I cannot save myself. See, let me tell you the major difference between religion and Jesus. The major difference between religion and Jesus is religion tries to save you from the outside in and Jesus saves you from the inside out when you surrender your life to him. 
And Paul said, I had to come to that place of recognizing that religion was not going to fix me. My best intentions, trying to be good and good enough to have a relationship with God, I couldn't get there because I had this stuff, this stuff going on on the inside of me called sin. And then he comes now to this very powerful statement in verses 24 and 25. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. He says, as long as I'm thrashing around in the waters of religion, I'm a miserable person. Who will free me from from this life that is dominated by sin and death. He says, I'm drowning in sin and death. Who can, who can free me from this domination? Now, would you read verse 25 with me aloud and loudly together? Here we go. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Read it again. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you hear the relief in the Apostle Paul's words when he finally comes to the place of saying, I've tried religion and religion doesn't work. I've tried to be good, but I can't be good enough to earn God's favor and God's blessing. Who's go I'm miserable. Who's going to free me from this? Oh, there's the answer. That's why Jesus came. He came to be my Lord lifesaver my lifesaver now let me put this in just a little bit different analogy for you we've been talking about the life-saving analogy let me use a different analogy just for a moment there are certain things that no matter how hard you try you will never be able to do no matter how hard you try for example if I were in, if I were to find in this room today the the most agile athlete Someone that is, that, is, that is well qualified and let's say, for example, high jumping. That you have, you're a great jumper. I mean, you have amazing ability to jump very high. You're a great basketball player or high jumper in track and field, but you have that great capacity. And I invited you to come down to the front and to display your high jumping capacity for all of us. And I would to give, give you the charge and say, okay, I understand, sir, you're a great high jumper, and we want you to show everybody here how talented, how skilled, how capable you are. I want you to jump from here and touch the ceiling. Now, by the way, from the floor to the ceiling, that's 65 feet. Now, no matter how hard that person tried, would he ever touch the ceiling? No. No matter how good he was at whatever it was that he had the capacity, his athletic ability, would he ever reach the ceiling? No. Why? Because it's beyond his capacity to do so. He is in, he's, he's not able to. And the same is true for you and me. God's standard of holiness, who he is, folks, he's way beyond us. Amen. He's a holy God. I mean, you can't even imagine how holy God is, how separate God is from us. Not that he doesn't love us, as we'll see in a moment. He loves us. He cares deeply for us and, in fact, reached down to us. But you must understand, God is an, he is, there is no one like him, the Bible says. There's no one like God. He is separate, apart, unique. He is completely holy. In fact, when the Bible describes him, it doesn't just call him holy. It calls him holy, holy, holy. I mean, there's not even enough holies to go along with the descriptor of who God is. He said, God is not just holy. He's holy, 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 and holy, 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 holy. And so here we are in our sin trying to reach God, and we say, you know what? Just jump higher. Just jump higher. Just jump higher. Come on. You can do it. You'll never reach God by your own ability. Just like you can't save yourself in the midst of a drowning sea until you yield yourself to a lifesaver. We must come to the place, if you want to know God and have a relationship with God and be secure on the day of judgment, you must come to that acknowledgement of your inability to save yourself. That's the first step. Let's go to our second step together, all right? How do you get to know God? 
The second thing is you have to learn some history. You admit your inability, and second of all, you learn some history. Now, I love history. We have any history buffs here today in the room? I love history. I love reading about history. I, I'm right, right now reading a couple of books about world history. I enjoy just kind of going back from time to time and just reflecting on history. A lot of lessons in history. And I want you to understand some history today that will change your life. It's a part of getting to know God. How do you get to know Him? There's some history you must understand scripturally and theo- theologically. And there are two basic history points that I want you to understand today. First of all, I'm going to describe for you some history about what Jesus came to do for you and me. What was his mission? And then I'll talk about what he actually did when he died and rose again. So those are the two things, two history points that we want to look at. So let's say them again. First of all, what Jesus came to do, what was his mission? And then what he actually did when he died and rose again. You have to look back on those events uh, over 2,000 years ago and understand what was that Jesus thing all about? What was that Jesus thing? Why did he come? What was his mission? And What did he do? Did he actually do anything when he came? And so let's take a look at what Jesus came to do. Now, would you agree that it's important to understand what, what the mission of Jesus was? Because we have to understand, why, why did Jesus come to earth? Why did God send his only begotten son down into our world, born of the Virgin Mary? And why did he grow up and minister as he did, die on the cross of Calvary and rise from the dead? Why did he come? What was his mission? And the best way to understand Jesus' mission is to listen to Jesus' words himself. Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. Jesus tells us why he came. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Just let me tell you why I'm here. Here's my mission. I came to seek, look around for, and save anybody that's lost. Anybody that's drowning, anybody that's in trouble, anybody that's lost in their sin, I came to seek them and to save them. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus again describes his mission. For even the Son of Man, he's describing himself there, came, as I'm telling you why I came, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, let me tell you why I came. I came to, not to, 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 to be served, I came to serve you, to actually give my life so that you could be bought from slavery to sin. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the latter part of verse 8, we find another descriptor of his mission. The reason the Son of God appeared, here's the mission, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So what did Jesus say? He said, I came, here's my purpose, my mission, to look around, find people that were lost, save them. I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And I came to destroy every work of the devil that would try to rob people from the potential that God planned for their lives. I came to set people free from the bonds and chains of darkness. That's why he came. Now, We also have to understand, that's his mission, what he came to do, but did he do it? What did Jesus do? Did he accomplish what he said he was going to do? Because the way you measure the effectiveness of someone is you measure their effectiveness by seeing if they do what they say they're going to do, right? You ever met someone before that talked a big talk but didn't do much about it? I mean, they were always telling you about what business they're going to start and what they're going to do, and their mouth is about this and about that, and they're always sort of just daydreaming and fantasizing, they never do much of anything, and so they're always telling you about their mission, but they never really accomplish it. So we need to stop for a moment and say, okay, did Jesus do what he said he came to do? 
And when you study the scriptures and look back at prophecy from the Old Testament and the fulfillment of that prophecy in the New Testament, you will see that everything Jesus said he came to do, he actually did for us. Let me give you seven phrases that will help you understand this. First of all, what did he do when he died and rose again on the cross of Calvary? He accepted God's judgment for our sins. That is, he took the penalty for every sin that you and I ever committed. We owed God a debt, but Jesus paid the debt for us. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God second of all he redeemed us from slavery to sin the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 verse 18 you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness thirdly he provided the way to eternal life Jesus said I am the way for you Romans 6 verse 23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number four, he provided the way for a personal relationship with God. That's what Jesus did through his death and resurrection. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. So friends, we can now without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice acting as our priest before God. There the scripture tells us that Jesus paved the way, made the way so that we can actually come into the relationship, a personal relationship with God. The fifth thing that Jesus did through his death and resurrection is defeated every spiritual enemy. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. God rescued us from the dark power of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son who forgives our sins and hallelujah sets us free all right Colossians 2 13 through 15 you were dead because you were sinful and were not God's people but God let Christ make you alive I'm about to shout hallelujah right now when he forgave all of our sins God wiped out the charges that were against us for disobeying the law of Moses he took them away and nailed them to the cross there Christ defeated all powers and forces. He let the whole world see them being led away as prisoners when he celebrated his victory. Number six, what did Jesus do for us in his death and resurrection? He did all of these things, say it with me, fully and finally. They are settled forever. He said, I'm going to do this once and for all. It will be settled for all eternity. On the cross, as he's dying on the cross of Calvary, the Bible speaks of some of Jesus' words. Notice John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He said, I've done everything, not partially, but I've finished it. And finally, through his death and resurrection, read it with me, he proved that he was the Son of God or was God. He was God. Acts 1, 3. After his suffering, that is after his death and resurrection, he showed himself to these men, his disciples, speaking of there, and gave, notice this, many convincing proofs that he was alive. He spent 40 days with these men and he talked to them and showed them that he was alive. And Romans 1, 3, and 4 says regarding his son as to, who, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord let me make it very clear Jesus is the only one who came and said I'm your Messiah I'll die on the cross for you and I will rise again victoriously from the grave conquering death hell and the grave and he actually did what he said he was going to do 
Buddha died and he's dead. Muhammad died and he's dead. Jesus died, but he's alive forevermore. Okay? And see, that's the difference. We're not talking religion here. See, Jesus did not come to start a religion. Jesus came and said, I'm God. And I'm going to prove to you that I'm God. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to come to do. I'm giving you my mission. I'm going to tell you why I'm here. And then I'm going to, show, I'm going to back it up with power. I'm going to show you that I do what I say that I'm going to do. And when he rose from the grave, when the stone was rolled away, and Jesus came out victoriously, and they said, he's not here. He's risen. He's alive forevermore. It was a statement to all humanity for all history. I am Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior. I can do what I said I can do for you. I I can be your lifesaver. You can trust me. You can put yourself in my arms. Now, this is important. How do you get to know God? You have to admit, you can't get to know him by yourself. No matter how high you try to jump, you're not going to touch that ceiling. And when you're drowning in water until you let go and release yourself to the care of someone that can save you, you're not going to be saved. And then you learn some history. There is one God sent as the lifesaver. He said, I'm going to come and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek and save. People are drowning who are lost. I'm going to find them and I'm going to give my my life for them. And I promise I will deliver them from the works of darkness. And through his death and resurrection, he did so. And that leads us to our last point. And that's simply this. You and I, if you want to have a relationship with God, you have to accept your opportunity. Notice the first word there. What is the word? Accept. There's an opportunity, but you must accept it. Let me paint another analogy for you today. Let's say that you are deeply in debt. I mean, overwhelming debt. And no matter how much you worked for the rest of your life and how many jobs you held down and how lucrative those jobs would have been, you couldn't pay back all the debt that you owed. And you were being called every day and hounded by bill collectors. And your life was absolutely miserable because you had no joy. Everything is pressing upon you. Every bill is pressing upon you and you can't pay them. And someone came along who had immense wealth and said to you, I'll pay all your bills for you. I'll clear out every debt that you you have, that you owe. And not only will I clear out every debt that you owe, but I I, want to be your friend. I actually would like to hang out with you for the rest of your life. And whenever you get in trouble, whenever there's an issue, or just, just be with you always. I, I just want a relationship with you. I promise you, I'll help you anytime you get in any situation. I'm there for you. Good times, bad times. I'm there all the time for you. I'm going to be your friend. Wh- wh- why are you choosing me? Well, because I love you. I, care. I created you. I-, I-, I love you. That's what God does. God came down through his son, Jesus Christ, and found us in the midst of our debt. He said, I want to pay the debt of your sin. I'm going to bail you out. But not only bail you out of your problem, I'm going to be there with you as your friend. Now, let me ask you, if someone came into your life and you were in that kind of trouble and they offered to help you, what would wisdom be? Absolutely. I would love for you to be my friend. And to extend yourself to them and accept the offer that they extend to you. And it's true for us as well. And so what I want you to see is this, and this is where it really comes down to you and me today. Because we already understand the history of what Jesus did, but but now it comes to you and me. What do we do in response to this? And I want you to note some statements that I'm going to give you from Jesus here, actually, that are important to grasp, a couple from the Apostle Paul as well, that will show you what you need to do in response to God's offer of salvation to you. Notice Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. There's a response from you and me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus said this. He said, come to me if you're weary, you're burdened, 
I promise you, I have rest for you. I will give it to you. But the first word there is the word, what is it? Come. So circle that word, come. Something you have to do. That's your responsibility. You can't experience the rest unless you come. John 3, verse 16 through 18. Verse 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus said, let me tell you something. I came because God loved the world. I came down to offer eternal life to anyone that would believe. I don't want to condemn condemn you I want to save you and so you have a responsibility though your responsibility is to believe so circle the word on your notes you've got to believe so you've got to come and you have to believe say it with me you have to come and you have to believe and then the next one John chapter 4 verse 10 Jesus is talking to the woman at the well the well of Samaria and we find his words after he's talked to her about regular water and drinking water. He says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says to this woman who he's asking physical water from, and he says to her, by the way, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink and I would not provide you with natural water, not the H2O type, but I would give you living water, the water that lasts for eternity and so the key word there is ask circle the word ask you have to come you have to believe and you have to ask stay it with me you have to come you have to believe and you have to ask these are the words of Jesus Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 Jesus words again look I've been standing at the door and I'm constantly knocking if anyone hears me calling and opens the door I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me Jesus said I'm standing in front of your life and envision it's like a house and there's a door there and you're on the inside and Jesus is on the outside and Jesus said I've come to your house and I'm constantly knocking and I'm waiting for you to hear me knocking and if you'll hear me knocking and then circle the word open open the door see Jesus said I don't push my way into anybody's life I'll knock and knock and knock but I will never push my way into your life I wait for you to open the door and if you'll open I will come in and we can have a fellowship a relationship so notice the words again you want a relationship with God you've got to come you have to believe you have to ask you have to open and then Paul's words in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 that if you confess circle that word with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved Notice that confession is central here. What are you confessing? Not that just Jesus is good. You say Jesus is God. There's a difference. There are a lot of people that are willing to say Jesus is good, but if you want salvation, you have to change it from Jesus is good to Jesus is God. And you confess that he is Lord. You make him Lord of your life. And then Romans 10 verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's here you find the word call. So let's review this again. How do you accept this opportunity, this offer? You come and you believe and you ask and you open and you confess and you call. You come. Come just like you are. Aren't you glad you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus? You come just the way you are. And then you say, Jesus, 
I believe in you and I'm asking you to give me the living water and I'm opening the door of my heart to you and I'm confessing that you are Lord. You're not just good, but you are God. I want you to be Lord and master of my life and now I call on your name and I secure for myself the gift that you've given. It's called the gift of salvation. Folks, let me tell you something. When that moment happens in your life, what you will experience is what the Bible says is salvation. You will fall into the arms of the lifesaver that will pull you out of the drowning pool of water and give you a life to live that you never dreamed possible. That's what Jesus does for folks. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul again describes it this way, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that is, if God's spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that if you've invited him into your life, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. He says, if you'll just open up, the spirit of God will come in you, and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will live inside of you, and you'll become a new creation in Christ. So what's my message this weekend? My message is very simple. If you want a turning point, if you want to turn your life into a direction that really matters, if you want a destiny for your life, if you want to discover why God created you, there's only one way for that ultimately to happen. You've got to know the source. You don't get in without knowing the right person. And that right person is Jesus. And that means you have to admit that you can't save yourself. You have to look back to the history of what Jesus did, what he, what he, what he came to do and what he fulfilled in his death and his resurrection. And then come to that place where you say, okay, Jesus, now I'm going to actually accept the offer of what you came to do for my life. And there's some of you here today that you've never taken that step with God. You've never taken it in a personal way. And today is the day that God is saying, this is your moment. I want to come into your life. And today, let me encourage you. Let me implore you with everything in me that this will be your day to say, yes, Jesus, I accept your offer of salvation. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful that you reached down to us in our failures, in our inabilities, in our sin, even in our religious attempts to try to reach you. And you reached down to us to help us, to save us, to redeem us. And I pray this morning that as we're in this moment of decision, I'm asking that through the power of the Holy Spirit that right now that you would help people in this place. You brought them here this morning not by accident, they're here on purpose. You brought them to this house, to this place, to hear this message. And I pray that in Jesus' name, that today would be the day they would open up their hearts and open up their lives to you. Let them not go back home the same, but experience the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Well, perhaps as you've been watching today's broadcast, something's been happening inside of you. Maybe you felt a stirring in your heart, something that's reminded you that you need to get some things right in your life with God. The first way we start in that journey with God is to open our hearts to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of our life, to turn all of our life over to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now. It's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Would you bow your head with me and pray this prayer? Say these words, say, Jesus, just acknowledge that He is Lord. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all of my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, I want to encourage you with the promise of God's Word that says when we call on God's name, 
when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there's salvation that's brought to our lives. He changes us on the inside, from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you, you need to take some next steps. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word, to make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it, to spend some time each day in prayer. We have some resources available for you through our website. We'd love to provide those for you. Just let us know that you need those and we'll make sure that we get them into your hands. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.